Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to talk today about how good people repent. It's one thing for bad people. Yeah, you've got lots to repent of. But there, well, how do good people repent? And we'll, we'll, we'll see what that means. I'm going to John chapter 1. We have been in John chapter 1 for a while. I don't know how many months or weeks, but, and we're not done yet. But I'm going to remind you, I'm just going to read you quickly from verse 19 down to verse 34 to just remind you of this. Uh, John John the Baptist is out uh, at the the Jordan River baptizing. This is not, however, the time that Jesus was baptized. Uh, He was baptized about 40 days prior to this. He's been out in the wilderness being tempted and, and, uh, and, and fasting and going through all of that. He will come back, we'll see him. He comes back to this gathering at the river and shows up and we'll see what John says. But we see something really interesting happening. We see see what John is doing of baptizing really, really good people. What's what's going on there? Father, would you open the word to us and our heart to the word. We love your word, every bit of it. It's got life in every bit. I pray, Lord, that I'd speak your word faithfully. We'd hear you and not me. Come, Holy Spirit. We listen with open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. I'll start at uh, verse 19. I'm going to read down to verse 34. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Well, they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And they said to him, well, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. And they had been, now they'd been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him and said to him, well, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Basically, they're saying, who do you think you are? Uh, telling everybody they need to repent. And uh, when we, the religious leaders, are, are doing our job. John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, now, as I said, John is giving us here not the time Jesus was baptized, but 40 days later, and he gives us a three-day period of time. This first day, these religious leaders come, and they, they begin to challenge John. What are you doing baptizing everybody? Who do you think you are? These are priests, Levites. We got a religious system going here. Uh, who, what, what do you mean everybody needs to repent? So there's actually a friction there. And John says, the next day, the day after that, here's what happens, verse 29. He saw Jesus coming to him. And behold, the Lamb of, he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified saying, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained on him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the son of God. It's easy for some people to see their need for repentance. They've led wild lives. They've done all sorts of terrible things. So when it comes time to repent, they literally have a checklist of sins. They need to start working their way through. Lord, I'm sorry for this and for this and for this. No, I'm not going to ask for hands. But there were some of you, when you came to the Lord and started repenting, you literally had a laundry list. You know, you just, it's like, I just got to work my way down it. But uh, there are others who have a much more difficult time seeing their need for repentance. Sure, they've done some minor things wrong, and maybe their attitude hasn't always been that great. But by comparison, a lot of other people have led, by comparison to a lot of other people, they've led very good lives. They're decent, law-abiding citizens. As we read through this passage about John the Baptist, there's something we need to keep in mind. John was telling good people that they needed to repent. Of course, there were some rough individuals mixed into those crowds, like tax collectors and soldiers, but most of the people who were being baptized were normal, everyday Jews. People who went to work six days a week and then went to the temple or synagogue on Sabbath. Compared to all the rest of the nations of the earth, these were the best behaved the moral standards everywhere else were far lower. And if those people worshiped at all, it was idols. So if you were to put it in that perspective, the Jews were the group who least needed to repent. They were the good people on the planet. It was their neighbors who had serious sins to confess. But oddly enough, God sent John to these good people to call them to search their hearts and repent. It doesn't make sense. Or does it? In this section of his gospel, the Apostle John takes, takes us out to a place along the southern end of the Jordan River and lets us listen to John the Baptist testify about Jesus. He had been baptizing people in water to prepare them for the coming Messiah. And at some point, he baptized Jesus. When he did, he revealed God, he, when he did, God revealed to him two foundational truths about Jesus. He saw that Jesus would die for the sins of the world and that he would baptize believers with the Holy Spirit. Help me now. Help me remember. Where did he do this? What did he say that pointed to the fact that Jesus would die for us? You heard it. What's that? Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And you don't, in a Jewish culture, you don't talk about the Lamb of God and certainly one that takes away the sin of the world and not mean anything else other than a sacrificial lamb. He pointed to Jesus and said, he's going to die. I don't believe John had that revelation prior to baptizing Jesus. I actually think Jesus explained it to him. And I don't think that revelation lasted that long with John. 
I think as time went by and pressure was on John in, in prison, I think he, he, he reverted back to, he wanted, the, he wanted the Messiah to come with a winning, winnowing fork and, 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 and get these guys. This whole idea was, was something, but it's this moment he had it. He said, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. When did he point out that Jesus was the baptizer in the Holy Spirit? He said, I baptize in water, but the one coming after me, he will do what? He'll baptize you plunge you, soak you, fill you. He will plunge you in the Holy Spirit, the one who's coming after me, all right? John stated these insights in this way. By calling Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he declared Jesus would die for us. And by saying that the Father told him that this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit, he declared that Jesus would fulfill the ancient promise that God would come to live inside his people. Almost 40 years later, as an old man pastoring the church in Ephesus, the Apostle John described the ministry of Jesus using three simple words. Water, blood, and spirit. Would you say those words? Water, blood, and spirit. Now turn with me to 1 John 5. I'll show you. The, the, John's letters. 1 John chapter 5, and we'll start at verse 6. In this passage, John is, John is saying Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And, and he means the Son of God. And he's saying there are three things, three places where, where God testified to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And he, and he uses these terms to capture those things. He said the water, the blood, and the spirit. Let's, let's look at this. It's verse 6, I'll start. Chapter, John 5. This is the one, meaning Jesus, who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And the three are in agreement. And if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. The testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in what? His Son, his son yeah. I'm going to just read verse 12 because it's cool. And he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. All right, here's, here's what he just was telling us. He said there were three events in Jesus' life where the father testified and said, this is my son. The first he would, cap, he, he would type as the water. What does that refer to? Water baptism, correct. Now, ask yourself, did God the father somehow at the water baptism testify that Jesus was his son? Do you recall? Oh, yeah, big time, didn't he? What happened? John plunges him under the water, brings him up. He's standing there, and it says the heavens opened. Immediately as he came out of the water, the heavens opened. And then what happened? Some, the Spirit descended on him like a dove and remained on him. And a voice said, 
my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And it was audible. It was an audible voice. People heard it. My beloved son. So he said, at the water, the father testified, this is my son. How about the blood? That's the cross, obviously. So at the cross, did things happen that testified that Jesus is God's son? Anybody remember stuff that happened at the cross? What was it? Earthquakes? Darkness covered for three hours? Something happened in the temple? The, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom? A few other things? Dead people walking around? That's interesting. I mean, that's kind of like special. It's like, whoa, I, I knew you. Yeah. Like, etc. The, the centurion stand there watching all of this. He says, surely this is the, oh man, the son of God. Yeah, he's, he's just looking at it. And he says, surely this is the son of God. And people left the place. It said, beating their chest going, whoa, oy vey. Whoa is me. What have we done? What have we done? Did God testify that this is his son? The water, the blood. How about the spirit? That, that resurrection night, Jesus appeared in an upper room and at one point, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, they didn't receive the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit at that point, but, but he said, now, go and wait in the city for what I've, what, what's been promised. John baptized in water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. See, this, he's, he's tracking right with this promise. He's saying, it's going to happen to you. Go wait in the city. Fifty days later, what happened? Pentecost. Power of God came down, all 120, and I, it, I think it's evident there were children there. That's why Peter even references children. Children, everybody, men and women, children, all of them baptized in the Holy Spirit powerfully. And that baptism continued. Does that testify? Jesus says, when I ascend, when I'm glorified, then I'm going to pour out the Spirit. Did he do it? Yes. yes. Is he the Son of God? Three things bear witness. The water, the blood, and the Spirit testify. But not only did they testify to the fact that Jesus is God's divine Son, they also testify Jesus by them has shown us the way to God. All, as he went through the water, the blood, and he was baptized in the Spirit, if you recall, there at the Jordan River. That's what happened. As he went through those three, he shows us the water, the blood, and the Spirit. Even each of us, even the best among us, needs all three of these. Now, now turn to Matthew 3. I want to give you just a, a, a taste of how John preached. He was preaching repentance to these people. He was calling on them to repent. Watch this. You're in Matthew 3, verse 1. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The messianic kingdom is about to arrive. Messiah is here. If he catches you in this condition, you're toast. Repent. He goes on. It, 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 John, uh, or Matthew says here, this is, the, this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Verse 4. John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. There's one person in the Old Testament described like that. Who is it? Prophet Elijah. And so there's the comparison is being made right there. 
Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, all of these well-behaved Jews. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they did what? They confessed their sins. And when, they saw, when, when he saw the religious leaders came, come out, now he's, <laughs> he's, he's real happy to see him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. I need to, I need to learn from this guy. I mean, this, he's, got his, he's got style. <laughs> yeah. That's an altar call. Uh, I am kidding. Yeah. Some of you are new going, oh, sweetheart, why did you bring me here? Anyway. Okay, there, then he says, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with what? Repentance. And that was change your life. And he says, don't suppose, he's talking to these religious leaders who are saying, we are, we are the uh, promised descendants of Abraham. He's saying, don't you rest on the fact that you are genetically related to Abraham and saying he's our father. God can raise up from these stones children to Abraham. The ax is laid at the root of the trees and Messiah is coming and he's not happy. And therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's for me. I baptize with water for repentance. But he who comes after me is mightier than I and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And there's that wonderful picture. His winnowing fork, his pitchfork is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather the wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Fire. He's coming. He's going to burn you. You know, repent. All right, do you got that message? How does a good person repent? Are they supposed to think real hard in order to remember the little white lies they've told? Or the times they were a bit selfish or, or maybe said a bad word? Is God such a perfectionist that he's going to reject them for just being human? The reason it's so difficult to understand why a good person needs to repent is because we don't understand what repentance really is. We think it means telling God we're sorry for doing bad things. We think that in order to repent properly, we need to be horrified by our past behavior and come to a place where we loathe ourselves. And yes, depending on the choices we've made, some of us will experience tremendous sorrow when we face the facts about what we've done to others and to ourselves. But again, not everybody has made those choices. Not everybody can find things in their history to be horrified about. They've been good people. To understand repentance, let's start with what it's not. It's not hating myself. It's not sobbing uncontrollably as I face a shameful memory. Look, I'm not making fun of these things or light of them. I'm not disparaging them. Some of us, when we get real with God and finally look at our past, there's some awful things there. And so there's the emotions and there's the regret and, the, and, the, and you begin to see it in the light of, 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 of the Lord and you realize, wow, I've wasted these years and I've done all these dumb things. That's, that's worth weeping over. Understand something though. The weeping, the sorrow, the regret has no real redemptive power. In fact, it can get in the way. You can get stuck there. You can get stuck there. It is not redemptive. Paul says, he talks about this and he says, there's sorrow and then there's godly sorrow. And he says, godly sorrow is the kind that leads to repentance. repentance, In other words, all of this sorrow doesn't do anything. 
so why do I bring this up? In, in, in American evangelical history, we've virtually made uh, almost an essential part of salvation that you come to a place where you're, where you're sobbing and hate yourself. You need, to, and you, need to, you need to know the bad news before you knew the good news. And so we had mourner's benches and everything else, and you had to come forward, and you had to work on it until you really were, felt awful. And then we would lead you to Christ. Now, I, I don't think it's wrong, I guess, but it's easier for some people to feel awful about their past than it is for others. And I actually think it's confusing, and it, it, it becomes problematic. It's, it's not sobbing uncontrollably as I face a shameful memory. It's not apologizing for a list of bad behaviors. These responses are expressions of sorrow, of regret. But they're not repentance. And if we don't understand this, there will be people who find the idea of repentance to be confusing and even repulsive. They feel like they're being asked to fake it. To pick through their past until they find something they've done that's bad. And then to focus on that bad thing until they can work themselves up emotionally to a level where they hate themselves. The process I'm describing may sound silly to those of us with horrible histories. Because it's effortless for us to remember our sins. Our problem is we can't forget. But there are such people, particularly those who've grown up in church or had great parents who taught them disciplines and good boundaries from a young age for whom this is a real issue. Look, some people feel almost jealous of people who've led, led bad lives. They think, well, you've got a testimony. I don't. I knew Jesus since I was three, you know. No, I never did that, and I never did that, and I never did that. I never got a, I, you know, I got no testimony. That's a pretty good testimony, actually. <laughs> you, know, you, got del- you got delivered from a lot, of, a lot of stuff. I know the family's falling apart. I know a lot of us have had difficult parenting. But not everybody has. Some of you had good ones. Some of you had parents that loved you. They taught you well. And they disciplined you and gave you boundaries and, and raised you up. And, and, they, and they put stuff in you that has worked. And you've followed their guidance and you've followed in their footsteps and it's worked and you've prospered. And you didn't do a whole lot of stuff. And so when somebody says, in order to really come to Jesus, you've got you've to somehow you know, come into this, this spot of emotion where you're just all worked up about your bad past and you, you try. It was the time I... You know, I snuck in line at the theater. <laughs> you know, I knew it was wrong. I so knew it was wrong. You know, you know I hate myself. You know. It, it, I, it, I actually think there are such people. I know there are. So I, I'm not, this isn't a false issue. I want to give you an example of one. Would you turn to Philippians chapter 3? It's actually somebody in the Bible like this. Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Chapter 3, I'll, I'll start at verse 3. But I'm going to open with just reading what I have here first. Thankfully, 
the Bible gives us an example of just such a person. It was Paul. Yes, after he became a believer in Jesus Christ, he realized he'd persecuted the church and labeled himself the worst of sinners. But growing up as a young man, he had been very disciplined. He was one of those good people. Listen, start at verse 3. Paul says, for we are the true circumcision. He's trying to deal with a church that had people in it who were trying to pull them back into Jewish legalism. You need to keep the Sabbath. You need to keep certain days. You need to, you need to do these various things, circumcise your children, uh, all of this stuff. God, it's eternal covenant, see there, and, and trying to pull them back into that kind of behavior. And he's saying, no, those are the true Jews who worship in spirit, the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence, say no confidence, no. in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. Now look where he's going. He says, real Christians, are, are, the people who really belong to God are people who put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have done so had I chosen to. Even if... If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I form far more. You think you were good? I was better. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. I mean, I was a conservative. As to zeal, persecutor of the church, I went for it. As to the righteousness which is in the law, look at this, found what? That's outrageous. Look what he just said about himself. If it comes to keeping the law as a young man growing up, I did it. And basically he says, without, without failure. I kept all the law. Woo. All right, let's go back to this. In this part of his letter, he was warning the church in Philippi about false teachers who were trying to convince them that they needed to practice certain parts of the Jewish law. To correct this deception, Paul wanted to show them that even a person who kept the law of Moses as perfectly as is humanly possible still needed to repent. So he used himself as an example. He said as a young man, he had kept the law blamelessly. As a young man, Paul had done everything he was supposed to do, and he did it zealously. He was one of those people who have a hard time trying to find something to confess. He told the Philippians that if it were possible for a person to earn right, a right standing before God, he would have earned it. But then he made an amazing statement which reveals what it is that good people, even really good people, need to repent of. Listen. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Did you hear it? He just described how a good person repents. In fact, this is the heart of repentance for everyone, even those who are really bad. 
What did he do? Paul says he stopped trusting in his own goodness. He totally rejected it. He called it garbage. Actually, he may have called it worse, and we will not go there. What did he say about his good? He says, I totally reject it. It's, it's rubbish. Because he realized it had no power to save him. And then he chose to completely trust Jesus. To believe that what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross and rose from the dead provided all the goodness God requires. In other words, he stopped assuming that because he had lived a good life, he deserved to go to heaven. And then he reached out and took hold of the gift God offered him. That was his repentance. It wasn't a decision that was driven by sorrowful emotions. It was a choice he made after he realized that salvation can only be received as a gift. And in order to receive that gift of righteousness, he had to first lay down his own. And notice Paul understood it was not possible to trust both at the same time. Either he would trust himself or he would trust Jesus and Paul chose Jesus. You can illustrate this quite simply. If you're holding on here to your goodness, and I'm not, even, I'm not gonna even take shots at it, you've really lived a good life. You've been a good person. What Paul did was say, I reject this. I let go of it. I stop clinging to it or trusting it. And then a person has to turn and embrace Christ. Did you follow this? You can't, it's not this. You can't, you can't do this. It has got to be, I renounce. And Paul, Paul really, you can even see the, the almost violence in it. He called it rubbish. No. He turned away. If anybody had a right to claim he was good, I was it, he says. I led a good life. I reject it totally. And I turn and I put my arms around Jesus Christ. He alone. He alone is my righteousness. Did you follow that? Those two essential steps. Where have I seen this? I, I shared this uh, several years ago. It was, um, my uncle passed away, I think it was about four or five years ago. Now, I don't keep track of time well. And uh, before he died, I got a phone call from my cousin. This is in Southern California. He is. And, and uh, she called and she said, uh, are you coming down here anytime soon? And I said, I didn't have plans to, am I needed, you know? And she said, well, she said, your uncle's having a difficult time. He's in the hospital and, uh, and he's, he's uh, not doing well and he's having a very difficult time at night. Uh, I guess there's a term for this, sundowners or something like this, that as, the, as, the, as it gets dark, as people come toward the end sometimes they begin to thrash and become very, very uh, um, upset, very agitated. And he was pulling the tubes out and, 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 and walk around and, you know, he was just, he was frantic. Now, I want to tell you, that is not just a psychological issue. Every one of us knows intuitively whether we're really in a relationship with God. You can tell people, oh, no, he loves you, you're just fine. And they know inside, no, I'm not. And they aren't. They can feel the distance. 
they know he's not near. I mean, look, God's real. You are spirit, whether you know it or not. And these things you're sensing, you know a great deal more than your brain tells you, than you can sense naturally. You know it, it's intuitive, it's very real. I think as it gets dark, and there's a sense of almost that looking into death. And I think people get agitated. And then when the light comes back, it's a little better. And my, my uncle was going through this. She said, would you come down? And I said, well, would you talk to my uncle and ask him, am I welcome? You need to know, this is the alpha male in my, my family. And, and I, I respect him. I love him. And I fear him in, in, in the best sense of the word. I was not, I just, I didn't know if I could even make myself, drag myself in there and sort of confront him and go, you know, brimstone. I mean, I, 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 I think you'd have to have a gun at my head to, to get me to do it. I don't think I could have made myself do it. And I said, would you ask him, am I welcome? And, and, he, and she said, all right. And she called me back later. She said, yes. He, he says, please come. Okay. I said, I'll be on the next plane. And I was. I got on the next airplane and I, I got out of the airplane and rented a car and went straight to the hospital, went right to his room. And the whole family's there. And, and they said, you know, hi, Steve, everybody. And, and then they just sort of, op- you know, he's ready, pushed me in the door and they went to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> it was sort of like, okay. <laughs> and I, I'm in the door. Now, I'm standing by this man's bed, alone in the room with him, and you need to know something about my uncle. He, he lived as good a life as anybody I've ever known. Uh, I mean, he was moral. He was clean. Uh, he, uh, he, he, you, you name it, he didn't do it. In uh, that kind of thing. And I, I don't mean to prove it. He just quietly lived his life. He went to work. He raised his family. Would he, if you'd have asked him, is he a Christian? He would have said, well, yeah, because he, he was raised in a Christian family. He certainly never renounced any of that. But he hadn't lived it in an, an active way. He, it just was there. And, you can t- and, and obviously, he wasn't satisfied <laughs> at this point. But I'm standing there, I'm thinking, so how do I lead this man to the Lord? Do I have to say, uncle, come on, fess up. I don't know what they are, but you've done bad stuff, haven't you? Come on, think about it. Think about it. Haven't you done some bad stuff? Do I have to drill in on him and make him feel bad about stuff before I can lead him to Christ? And I'm struggling with this. And I'm thinking, this is is nuts. And and I, I said, Lord, help. And he took me to the verse I'm reading you today, Philippians 3. And he said, here's another man who didn't have anything much to confess. And I thought, okay. And so I said, uncle, I want to tell, may I, you know, may I tell you about Jesus Christ? Yes. Um, I said, I want to tell you about a man who lived a really good life. And, and, I, and I read to him some of this. And I said, this is Paul. And he had lived a very good life. And Paul said that he knew that what, what God wanted to give him was a gift. And that in order to have that gift, he had to lay down his own righteousness. He didn't have to call it all rotten. He had to renounce it. You see the difference? You had to let go and then turn and embrace the cross of Jesus Christ. 
I said, um, and then I, and I told him, here's what Jesus did. And I took him to Isaiah 53. All we like sheep are gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I said, uncle, are you willing? You've led a good life. I know that. I mean, if you've done things, I don't know it. But I said, are you willing to say, I do not trust that at all. I turn and I trust only Christ and what he did for me for my salvation. He said, yes, I do. And then I was able to pray with him, and I, and I prayed for him to receive the Lord. And, and I, I, it was fine, but I didn't see the impact, the transformation. When you get born again, you get born again. And so I, was, I went over to the corner, and I was looking out the window, and I said, Lord, what did I do wrong? Um, what, what's, what's missing here, Lord? I, I prayed with him, but I don't, I don't, I don't sense it. I don't see the, the change. And the Lord said, the Holy Spirit? That's right, I knew I forgot something. Back over here. Holy Spirit, yes. It did, it did happen like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so I went back and I said, uh, Uncle, um, if you don't mind, I, I, I didn't say I forgot something. <laughs> I'd like to pray for you. And uh, when you pray like this and, and turn to Christ, you're righteous. Your sins are forgiven. But God wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Would you, would you welcome that? Yes, I would. All right. So I lay my hands on him, and I began to pray for him. And God showed up. Power came. Tears are gone. And, you, and what happened over him, he's been, you know, agitated. There's been this, just this whole thing. Peace just filled the room and filled him. And, uh, and, and the power came over him. You, just, you could feel it, see it. You could watch it on him. And then he went to sleep. He was at rest. The water, the blood, and the spirit. the spirit, all three were at work in that process. Let's go back. The heart of repentance. This is the essence, the foundation of all real repentance. Certainly, repentance will include a willful turning away from the wrong ways I've lived my life, from my selfishness, from the fact that I've tried to live my life without God, and, and from my desire to be in control of my own life. But at the heart of it all, at its deepest level, repentance finally comes down to this, recognizing that only Jesus is good enough to please God, and then making the choice to turn away from my own goodness and to cling to his. Did you hear me say choice? You can choose to do this. When you understand it, you can choose to do this. You do not have to wait until you are an emotional wreck to do it. You can say, I see it. I turn away from my own goodness and I cling to Christ alone. You can choose it. Or maybe it would be more accurate to say, to let him put his goodness around me. Because that's what Paul means when he says he wants to be found in him. When God looked at him, Paul wanted to be surrounded by Jesus. Water, blood, and spirit. Why is, this, why is it so important to understand this? Because this is the essential step a person must take to be saved. Whether they have led a really good life or a really bad life. Receiving the gift of Jesus' righteousness involves two decisions. The first is to stop believing that I am or must be 
good enough to go to heaven. Did you follow that? There are those who have to deal with, I feel like if God's a fair God, I have lived such a good life, I deserve to go to heaven. You've got to let go of that and turn to Christ. And there are those who've lived a horrible life feeling I got to get my act together or he doesn't want me. You're wrong too. No, no, Christ alone. No matter what your history's been, you cling to him. The second is to trust completely in the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. And actually, there is a third decision God wants me to make after I've made the first two. He wants me to welcome the Holy Spirit to live inside me. John came up with his own way of describing these three steps. He called them the water, the blood, and the spirit. And by these words, he meant the water of water baptism, by which we indicate to God that we have repented of our sins, and in particular, of trusting our own goodness. The blood which Jesus shed on the cross, which made God's mercy possible, and the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, with which Jesus baptizes those who come to him through the water and the blood. John used these three powerful words, water, blood, and spirit, to capture the basic elements of our salvation. All of us need all three. If we are to enter fully into the new life God intends for us, we need to repent. We need to turn away from relying on ourselves to please God. We need to believe. We need to trust that the cross of Jesus is the only thing that can make us good enough. And we need to receive. Once we've passed through the water and the blood, we become truly righteous before God. And Jesus wants to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been with us all along, but now that we're clean, now that we're a holy temple, He wants to dwell inside us. Jesus is the baptizer. He's the one who pours the Holy Spirit into us. And he's the one who plunges us into the Spirit. But we must choose to welcome the Holy Spirit and then learn to draw on his power to live victorious and fruitful lives. Each of us, even the best among us, needs all three. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Let me, let me explain something. When Jesus died on the cross, he did not simply die for your sins. He did that. And so when you trust him, your sins are, are gone. They're, 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 they're put away from you. Paul explains this, that Jesus, when he died, also died for our bodies. Let me explain. Your body has been used for for bad stuff, I trust. Mine has. And so my body, in a sense, is contaminated. It's an unholy place. It's, It's not a place worthy for the Spirit of God. But Paul says this. He says that Jesus took on our sinful flesh when he died on the cross. And that by, on the cross, he he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, he paid for the sin of my very body. He redeemed my body, not just my spirit. Did you hear this? This is why the baptism of the Holy Spirit could not happen prior to the cross. Because the human body was an unclean place. He could be on people, but he couldn't be in them. 
He couldn't be in them. They weren't clean. They weren't suitable. After the cross, your body now is clean. Before God, when you repent and trust Christ, when you let go and you embrace, you are at that moment righteous before God. Not only is the sin gone, but your very body is in the, in the Father's eyes is a clean, holy place into which he wants to put his Holy Spirit to dwell. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, it's a phenomenal thought when you think of it. He doesn't just want to be with you. He will come and live in you. He will never leave you for all eternity. I mean, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. He will come and live inside us. But God does not force himself on anyone. He will give this gift, and he does immediately. It's available to us. But it's like someone handing us a gift. You have to take the ribbon and open it and say thank you and receive it. I think the, the illustration the Bible uses, is, is it'll compare it to water. It'll say the Holy Spirit. He pours out the Holy Spirit, but we must drink. See the human and divine? God pours out, I drink. Another illustration is used, God exhales. I inhale. I receive. Both of those symbols are a taking within us of the Spirit of God. All three of those are part of our lives. Repenting of my own righteousness or, or my horrible past. Just saying, it's gone. Turning clinging to that cross, clinging to my Lord Jesus Christ. You alone, my Lord, are my hope for salvation. You alone, no matter what I do, you alone are why I go to heaven. And then he says, and I receive you, I wash you clean, I put your sins away from me as far as the east is from the west. I don't remember them anymore. Now, sweetheart, I want to come and live inside. Isn't that fabulous? But we must welcome him. And I, I just feel today that I'm going to ask two things. I'm going to ask, does anyone want, need to, to make that statement? I see, I reject my own righteousness. And I choose Christ. But I'm also going to ask today, anyone want to say, I receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. I, I'm not going to be afraid of it. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to go those kinds of places. I'm going to say, come Holy Spirit, you are welcome to dwell within me in power. And I would suggest we so need that power. Amen? Would you stand with me? And would you just bow your heads for a moment? Now, let me ask the first question. Anyone today, you, 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 you may be one of those with great parents, raised in church. You've lived a good life. But today it becomes clear to you. You see it. I can do this. I don't, it isn't about simply coming up with some sort of emotion and self-hatred. I can simply say, I renounce my own good works and I turn and I embrace Jesus Christ. I get it. I can't do both. I choose Christ and Him alone. Anyone need to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me today. I need to make that confession and I do so. Just raise your hand. Yes, one. Yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah. Yes, yes. This is, this is really important, yes. This is the heart of it. This is the heart of it. Yes, yes. Praise the Lord, yes, yes. Hallelujah. I agree with you. That's what I'm doing right now. As you raise this, you just need to make that confession. Yes. 
It's a statement of your heart before the Lord. You've heard the word. You're saying, I agree. Yes. Praise you, Savior. Praise the living God. Yes, I see that. Yes, I see you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, let's respond right now to that. Those of you who uh, have raised your hand, but let's all just pray right now and just make a clear declaration of what we've just said. Heavenly Father, you, you are amazing. You have sent your son and he has died for me and made a way for me. His, his goodness, his righteousness is perfect. I turn from my own. I call it rubbish. I push it away. I don't hope in it, trust in it, look to it anymore. Whether I've lived a good life or a bad one, that doesn't matter. I turn and I embrace Christ. And I'm not letting go. And he's not letting go the rest of my life. Thank you, Lord, for your for your righteousness. I receive the gift in Jesus' name. Now a second question. Who today needs to say, all right, I have done that, but I need to, I need to make a deliberate choice. Not simply to say, I, I know there's a Holy Spirit and he can do whatever he wants. Not that passive kind of, you know, step back from it position, but to say, no, no, I, I welcome the Holy Spirit. I want the Spirit of God to dwell in me. I understand now I'm a clean temple and he, he, he wants me to welcome him to dwell within me. And this day, I choose that. And I say, come Holy Spirit, with all your gifts, all your power, come and dwell within me. I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised. Who needs to say that yes to that? Raise your hand. All right, many. I, I did this last service. I felt this was a, a something I don't normally do. If you would like to, would you just come and stand here? I'm not going to do anything weird to you, uh, but I just feel like we need to really make a step. We need to make that. So would come right ahead and just come and stand across the front. I'm going to pray for you right here. We're going we're gonna to take this seriously. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Yes, just come ahead. And I've got prayer ministers also. I'd like you to be uh, praying with me. Praise you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Church, just worship for a minute. Oh, Holy Spirit, we love you. You are a great and gracious Lord. You've been given to us without measure. Out of our innermost being, our bellies will flow rivers of living water, and we want it all. We believe Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. This isn't just theology. This is not poetry. This is reality. And we receive that grace. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, those of you that have come, I want you to just be praying. Here's what I want you to do. He is giving you the Holy Spirit. You've trusted Christ. And so it isn't a matter of getting him to give something. It's a matter of you and of me opening up and saying, come Holy Spirit. There's a permission, there's a, there's a softness, a, a welcome, you might say, of our heart that says, come and come within me. Would you just lift your hands before the Lord for a moment? Just say, Holy Spirit, come upon me. I welcome you. I receive you. 
have your way with all of your power. I am not pulling back. I am not withholding myself. I need your presence. Come and dwell within me and never leave me. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. One of those symbols is that just that uh, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive. And I'm sure their role, see, he breathes, but ours is to inhale, as it were. Ours is to receive. Would you just even symbolically, just as a step of faith, just say, I inhale, I just receive the Spirit in my, my inner being. Come, dear one. Great is the Lord. Strong is the Lord. Blessed be Jesus. Just put your hand on your heart. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Would you say that? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come, dwell inside me. Never leave me for all eternity. You are the power by which I put to death the deeds of the flesh. You are the, you are the, the source of the gifts of the Spirit. So I will move as a spiritual servant in the power of God. By you, I can do all things. Thank you for being with me and for never leaving me for all eternity. Today, I declare openly because of Christ, I am a holy temple. I am a suitable place for the very Spirit of the Lord to dwell. Blessed be God, I believe it in Jesus' wonderful name. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.